great to see you guys this morning. I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here at Island Community Church, and I welcome you today. We're so glad you're here, especially want to say to our mothers, happy Mother's Day again from me to you and to my mom, who probably listens to this recording every week. Um, mommy, I love you. Um, uh, moms are amazing people, and it's something all of us share. We all have a mom. If you don't, talk to me afterward. I'd like to know how that went. Um, but all of us have a mom. And they're amazing people. They're an amazing gift. They have an amazing ministry. They exert amazing influence. And one of the greatest things that a mom can ever do is influence their child to know the Lord. One of the greatest ministries that's entrusted to moms and to dads, but is to use their influence to see that their child knows the Lord. Some of you guys had moms like that, and those of us who did, we are so thankful. My mom was that way. She prayed for us before we were ever born. And to our mothers-to-be, you can start praying for your child before they're ever born. But she raised me up to know and to fear the Lord, and to know the love of God, and to know the love of Jesus, and encouraged me always in my life to put my faith in Him. And I'm so thankful because I, I believe that God used my mother, I know that God used my mother, to, to bring me to know the Lord. And I pray for all of the moms here today that I just want you to know, first of all, how loved you are, how special you are, what an awesome ministry you have. But secondly, to know that one of the greatest things that you can do is just to pray for your children and to encourage them always to know God. Amen? And I'm thank, thankful that we have a church full of moms who do just that. So, great to be together today. If you've got your Bible, and I hope you do after last week's message... You can turn it open to the book of Nehemiah, and we are going to be in chapter 10 today. I'm going to be covering a swath of scripture from chapters 9 to chapter 12, but we're really going to focus our time on chapter 10. So Nehemiah chapter 10 is where we're going to be. To understand the scripture that we're going to be studying today, you kind of have to understand the bigger narrative that is going on in Nehemiah. And so, let me just fill you in once again. Nehemiah. What's the book about? It's about a guy named who? Nehemiah. Really, it's not about Nehemiah as much as it is about who? God. And his faithfulness to his people, to his church, to fulfilling his promises and his plans through ordinary people like us. Nehemiah was an ordinary guy who felt called by God. He saw the vision that God had for the city of Jerusalem, which was God's chosen city where he was to be known and worshipped and loved, where the Bible was to be taught, where people were to pray the ideal of what we should be, what the church should be, what city should be. That was Jerusalem. But because of the people's sin, Jerusalem was broken. Jerusalem had become in ruins. And Nehemiah far away from his ancestral homeland, got a vision from God as to what things should be, how they should be, how things should operate. And it broke Nehemiah's heart. And Nehemiah began to pray that God would restore Jerusalem to the way that it should be. And Nehemiah even raised his hand and said, Lord, I'm willing to be a part of it. I'm willing to go. If you want me to be a part of what you're doing, the restoring work that you're doing in that city. And indeed, when he raised his hand, the Lord did call Nehemiah, and Nehemiah went. He went by order of the king back to his ancestral homeland of Jerusalem and began to cast vision to the people, organize the people. The people all responded with great faith, with great willingness, with great participation. And we've been seeing now the months and months and months that the people have come together, united with one purpose, to bring glory to God through restoring the purposes of God in the city of Jerusalem, and the wall now that was in ruins has been rebuilt. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> okay, I got really excited about it, and all you were just looking at me. <laughs> it's so awesome to see in real history what God was able to do as his people put their faith in him and said, yes, Lord, we will be a part of what you're doing. A whole city restored. We've been talking about this narrative as not just a historical narrative. It parallels... Our narrative. We live in a time where things are not as they should be. Here in Memphis, you can go outside of this room today and you can see 
thousands of evidences all around that things are not as they should be, as they could be, as God desires them to be. We need to see God's vision. We need to be broken over what is wrong. We need to have faith and pray for God to bring restoration, starting with ourselves, extending through us to the city and community around us, and eventually to the world. We need to pray for God to continue His restoring work in us, but we also need to be willing to be a part of it. What I've been saying all along is the, what Nehemiah and the people of Israel saw happen there in Jerusalem, I believe we can see happen here today, starting with you, if you would get a vision of what God wants to do, if you'd get on your knees and pray that it would start with me, God, restore me. And if you would be willing to be a part of it, I believe that God is going to do great things through you, through this church, through the kingdom of God at large in this world. Amen? Okay. Amen. That is what the narrative is all about. Well, last week we got to the point where the people were, had finished the wall and they began to have what's essentially like their dedication service. In Nehemiah chapter 8, what we looked at is that the Ezra stands up, they build a huge platform for him, and the first thing they do as they get into the city is he stands up and he begins to read the Word of God. We talked about last week the centrality of God's Word and the foundation of God's Word in our, in our worship and in our personal lives how God's Word is His tool for us to communicate with us, to change us, to lead us, to guard us, to protect us, to provide for us. God, God's Word is foundational and central in our lives. And the people began to respond just as we should. As God's Word goes out, they should respond with honesty, repenting over their sins. Re- encouraged again to put their faith and their hope in God. Celebrating again in who God is and all that He has done. In Nehemiah chapter 9, which we're not going to take time to read the whole chapter today, but I want you to look at it later this week, the worship continues, not just by reading God's word, but by standing up, one of the priests stands up and begins to recount all that God has done in real history for the people of Israel. Specific thing after specific thing after specific thing They name God's faithfulness in their lives and in their history. And it leads the people to even greater praise. Have y'all ever heard that song, um, Count Your Blessings? Count your blessings, name them one by one. Did y'all grow up in that church? That was the church I grew up in. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Are you impressed I can sing that good? Yeah, thank you. Looking at Megan because she's my test. All right. Anyway, count your blessings. We need to take time in our lives to count our blessings. How often do you sit down and actually maybe write out or think through, meditate on, talk about with your spouse or your friends? Just think about the faithfulness of God in your own life, in your own family, in your own circumstances. One by one by one by one by one. God has been faithful. God is enough. God brought me through. God saved. God restored. God did this. God did that. Where would I be today if it were not for God and His faithfulness to His own promises to me in Jesus? Amen? I have a jar of remembrance. I found it this week. I hadn't used it in a little while. Not because God hadn't been faithful, but because I guess I had lost it. But all of these little rocks, one by one by one, riding on little rocks, each time got something I saw of God's faithfulness and adding that to the jar. And you can go and look at the jar at any time to see back in your life all the times that God has been faithful to His promises. God has gotten you through. God has kept His word. Amen? We all need to do that. And that's exactly what happens in Nehemiah chapter 9. Now, We get to chapter 10, where we're going to focus today. We only have two more messages in this series, our study of Nehemiah, this week and next week. And this week I've entitled, Making Covenant. And the question is this. All right, so hear me out. This is what we're going to look at today. In light of God's awesome provision and faithfulness, what should our response be? In light of God's awesome provision, in light of His faithfulness to you, think about in your own life, in light of all that God has done for you, 
in His Son, Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith in Him, in response to all that God has done for you, in response to all that He is for you, in response to all of the promises that are yes and true in Jesus Christ, in response to the fact that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, following the course of the power of this world, and now you are alive in Christ Jesus. It is by grace that you have been saved. Nothing that you have done. Totally what God has done. If it weren't for Christ, you'd be in the gutter. But Christ came. Christ loves you. Christ gave himself for you. Christ opened up a way of salvation to you. And by your willing faith in him, he has given you everything, though you deserve nothing. Amen? In light of that, what is the right response to him? That's what we're going to be looking at today. And we're going to be talking about one word that's very central. And the word is covenant. All right, If you go to the back of your bulletin, you'll see there's an outline there. And I put this statement at the top of your outline. In light of God's awesome covenant salvation, faithfulness, and provision for us in Christ, we covenant. I want you to circle that word covenant. Covenant with God and one another. We're going to talk about how we covenant. But this word is centrally important as we go through our study today. The word comes from another word that means literally to cut. All right, It's the idea of two parties coming together forming a relationship with one another, usually agreeing to something together. And what would happen is when these two parties got together, they would take an animal, an animal sacrifice, and they would literally cut the animal sacrifice in half. They would cut it in half. They would separate the parts. The two parties would stand on either end, and they would walk between those sacrifice, those parts of the sacrifice. They would walk between them and essentially they would make a covenant with one another, a commitment to one another that says something like, if either of us were to break this commitment to each other, so may this happen to us. Right? To cut. And nobody wants that to happen to them, right? But what it is, it's a binding covenant. It's a binding covenant. It's a show of, hey, we are in a relationship together And we commit to one another. We commit to be faithful to one another so long as we both shall live. This word is not used much in our society today. The closest thing that we probably come to it is is when we say the covenant of marriage. Anybody heard, heard that phrase? Covenant of marriage. The idea is, with my wife, I stood up in front of a congregation like this and we covenant ourselves to one another. Now, there was no animal... Sacrifice there that day. Thank goodness. <laughs> right? But we... Yeah, that would be really awkward, especially with the white dress. <laughs> Sorry. But we stood there before each other that day, and we made a covenant with one another. We made a commitment to one another that we would love each other, that we'd be faithful to one another, that we'd provide and protect one another, that we would stay together as long as we both shall live. That idea is a covenant relationship. It's perhaps one of the closest things that we can understand in a covenant relationship. Now, I'm not going to be teaching on covenants today, and I probably should do a whole series on covenants because this idea of covenant in the Old Testament is deeper, is more vast than you could ever imagine. But the the simple idea that I want you to understand this morning is this, that God has chosen to covenant himself with us, God's people. God has chosen to covenant himself with Israel and today has chosen to covenant himself with us. And the sign of his covenant is Jesus Christ who was given. His blood was shed. It was a sign for us, the covenant sign that God has committed himself to us in love and in faithfulness, and in provision, and in protection, and in his power, and in his control. He has committed all of himself to us. And the sign of his covenant is Jesus Christ. Now that's good news, right? Okay, let me just hear you say yes, okay? That is good news. Now let me tell you why it's good news. 
Because that covenant is good, though we had done nothing to deserve it, and though we will do nothing to be able to keep it. God has made that promise based on His own character and based on His own Son, Jesus Christ. Our hope that God will keep covenant is not whether or not we'll keep covenant back with Him, but the fact that He has chosen to keep covenant forever and for always, and He will never break His word. The success of our covenant relationship with God is not about whether or not we can do anything to keep covenant, but the fact that God will always keep covenant with us. And the sign of that is His Son, Jesus Christ. Now that deserves an amen. But the reality is this. Though it is by grace alone that we're saved, though there is the success of this covenant relationship with God is not dependent on us, should we still be faithful to Him? Yes. If Michelle, God forbid, let me turn it around. If I, God forbid, (laughs) ever walked away from Michelle, if I ever did anything to walk away from her and to be unfaithful to her, God forbid, if I ever broke covenant with her by my own actions, she has still covenanted with me to be faithful to me. To love me. That covenant still holds true. Though one walks away, the other remains. That is the picture of God's love. Marriage represents Christ's love for His church. Though we are faithless, Christ is faithful. Amen? Though we walk away again and again and again and again, as the book of Hosea is written for us to see, we are an adulterous people when it comes to our relationship with God. We have all committed great infidelity with our Maker. But yet, He is faithful. He keeps loving. His steadfast love never comes to an end. His mercies are new every morning. Y'all track it with me. This is the awesome love of God. But even though I know Michelle is committed to love me in that way, does that mean I should just take liberty and go run around on her? No. It makes me all the more excited to give myself to her again and again, day by day. In light of Michelle's love, it makes me want to be more faithful to her. To covenant myself even more deeply than I could ever imagine. And the reality for us is, in light of God's awesome covenant salvation with us, we should covenant willingly ourselves to Him. It should make us more faithful, more grateful, more attached to Him, and willingly involved with Him than ever before. Is everybody tracking with me? This is what happens in Nehemiah chapter 10. Let's start in the first few verses. I think it's on the screen here. We'll actually start in verse 28. And I want you to see this. They've just recounted all of God's awesome salvation and provision and faithfulness. And now the time comes in response What do you do? The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath. So what's happening here is they're all getting together in response to all that God has done. And they're saying, we willingly give ourselves right now. At the beginning, as we go into the city, we willingly give ourselves right now into a covenant relationship with God. We are going to renew our commitment to Him. The first thing we see is this. To walk in God's law. Go back just a second that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all of the commandments of the Lord, our Lord and His rules and His statutes. There are a couple of quick things, and I'm going to go through these very quick this morning. So strap your seatbelt, get out your pen, I want want you to fill these in. 
It's the same for us today, folks. In light of God's awesome salvation and provision, what is it that we should willingly covenant ourselves to in our relationship with God now? First, we see this. To walk intimately with God. To walk intimately with God. first thing that we see the people do is they said, Lord, we will commit ourselves to keep your law. We will keep ourselves close to you. We don't want to swerve to the left. We don't want to swerve to the right. Lord, because of all that you've done for us, oh God, all we want, our heart's desire is to be near you, to walk with you, to stay close to you, to make sure that we are pleasing you. Our greatest desire, God, because you are everything to us, is to be near you. Now, many of you guys know that Michelle and I are married. Can you imagine if my attitude toward Michelle was like this? Where I'm married to her, but I come home at night and I say, well, baby, you look beautiful. And she says, well, my goodness, what did I do to deserve that? And I say, well, it's part of my covenant obligation to tell you things like that. (laughs) Right? Guys, don't try that. You bring home flowers. Oh, my goodness, they're beautiful. Yes, I read this in in some book that that's part of what the guys should be doing. Right? For their wives. You know, what if my relationship was like that? Or I never really wanted to spend time with her. You know, I was married to her. Yeah, you know, I've got to stay with my wife. You know, I've got to stay with Michelle. There's, you know, I'm stuck now. When I hear guys talk like that, it makes me sick. You know, right before their wedding, they say, oh, I only got two more days, but I put on the ball and chain. Y'all ever heard people say that? You know, it makes me sick. I'm stuck with her now. I don't really want to spend time with her, but I guess I've got to do it, right? That would not bring delight to Michelle. Right, babe? No, not a good idea. What brings delight to Michelle's heart is to hear that I want her. I tell her things, and I'm just going to sound like I'm bragging on myself, but I'm not, because I'm really, I'm working at being a good husband. But saying things like, babe, I would marry you again today if I had to do it all over again. Asking her to a date. Saying, babe, let's go on a walk. I just want to spend time with you. Those things make my Michelle, Michelle, my Michelle. All happy on the inside, right? Flowers, just because she's wonderful with a little note, right? Those things delight Michelle. Yes, our covenant would be true even if I didn't do those things, but what is the right response to being in love with one you've covenanted with? Walking closely with them. Walking intimately with them. Everybody understand? One of the things that's interesting about our covenant relationship with God is God says to us, those who truly know me, love me. Those who truly know me, delight in me. That's why the Psalms are full of commands like, delight yourself in the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Jeremiah 24, talking about how they will love me with all of their heart and will be glad to follow me with all of their life. Part of the evidence of whether or not you have truly received God's salvation and mercy and provision and grace is whether or not you have true affection for God and His Son, Jesus Christ. If you don't have true affection and love and desire and delight in God, you need to test whether or not you have actually tasted and seen that the Lord is good. One of the evidences of Christians is that they love God. That's why Jesus, in Matthew 22, when someone says, What is the greatest commandment, Jesus? He replied and says, It is this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. He didn't back off. He says, you want to know what God wants for you? You can sum up the Ten Commandments in this. Love God with everything that you are. 
and love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you don't have love for God with all of your heart and soul and strength and mind, then have you understood yet God's awesome love for you? The only right response to God's love is to love Him back. And you can't do that yourself. That's why Jesus says you must be born again. There must be a new nature put into your heart, changed from rebellion toward God to delight in God. And that new birth happens when you call out to God in faith that he might save you. God puts a new spirit in you, and that new spirit overflows. Galatians 5 says, in love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. I've never seen anybody produce an orange. They grow naturally. The fruit of the Spirit grows naturally from the one who has truly been born again, received the new nature of God. The mark of a Christian is one who walks closely with God. That's the right response. Amen? Secondly, we keep reading in verse 29. Go back to verse 29 and look. It says, A curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by the servant of God. Walk closely with God and to observe and do all of the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and His rules and His statutes. The second thing we see is not just to walk closely with God, but to maintain purity of life. And because I like alliteration, I had to find a W, so I said, ward off idols. All right? That's kind of a cheesy phrase. I would never use that in real life, but whatever. To maintain purity of life. Part of saying yes is also saying no. (laughs) Part of saying yes is also saying no. The Jewish remnant in Nehemiah's day was surrounded by Gentile inhabitants. There were a lot of things in their immediate surroundings that wanted to pull their attention away from God. That wanted to take their affection and use it on things of this world and not things of God. And one of the admonitions over and over and over and over and over is not only to walk in the way of the Lord, but to be careful not to walk in the way of the world. As you say yes to God, you also say no to things that are not of God. When I make a uh, covenant with Michelle, which I'm so glad. I'm talking about you a lot today, babe. Sorry. One of the things, though, Um, that I commit to when we commit in marriage is not only that I will love Michelle with all of my heart, not only will I be faithful to her till death do us part, but that I will not pursue other women outside of our relationship. That she's my one and only. Isn't that good news, babe? She's my one and only. Now, when I commit to her, I also commit that I will not pursue relationships that compromise our relationship, that I will be faithful only to her, that she has my total, complete, true commitment of love. The same thing is true of our commitment with God. In light of His awesome love and mercy and provision and salvation in our life, not only do we walk closely with Him, but we maintain a purity of life. We don't want to be unfaithful. We don't want to give our hearts and affections away to anything that will compromise our relationship with Him. We avoid sin, and we watch out for idols. 1 John chapter 5 says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from things in your heart and life that would steal your attention away from God. Be careful when you start making money. Money is a deceiver. There have been many people, Timothy says, that have gone away from the faith because of the love of money. Be careful of pride. Be careful when you begin to think that you are self-sufficient apart from God. 
There are so many things. I could go on and on and on. There are so many things in this world that we have to be careful of. We have to guard our hearts and minds according to the Word of God and according to the will of God to make sure that we stay faithful to God and the covenant that He has made with us. Does that make sense? We have to maintain a purity of life. It's the right response to His salvation. Number three. Look at verse 30. They go on and they say this. Look at your Bibles, chapter 10, verse 30. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. Now, essentially, what he's saying is this, which is point number three on your sheet. We will watch over and lead our families in the way of the Lord. We will watch over and lead our families in the way of the Lord. Over and over and over again in the Old Testament. One of the things that God told his people over and over is that they needed to be careful as they interacted with peoples of other lands around them. People who did not love God, who did not know God, who were not walking in the way of God, they had to be careful about attaching themselves to them. Because what God knows is when you begin to get in relationships with people who are not of the same heart, not of the same belief, not of the same mind in terms of your relationship with God, when you begin to get entangled with them, especially in covenant marriage relationships or relationships that lead to covenant marriage, what God knows is it is more likely for you to fall away from the living God than for them to come to the living God. The continued admonition in Scripture is do not involve yourselves romantically in a way that leads to covenant marriage and especially do not involve yourself in covenant marriage with anyone who does not have the same love, belief, faith, affection for God as you do. It's clear. He I listed Exodus 34, verses 10 through 17, Malachi 2, verses 10 through 16. You can look at those later. But also in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, through chapter 7, verse 1. And in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39, the encouragement is, do not be unequally yoked. Do not attach a yoke around your neck with someone else who does not share the same love for Jesus as you do. This is why I will not ever, ever, ever marry a believer to a non-believer. I will not do it. Why? Why? Barrett, you're so mean. Have some grace and compassion. The reason why is because God says clearly in His Word, a believer should not marry an unbeliever. And I will not do something blatantly that God has said, do not do. Amen? This is why I tell you here with all of my heart and all of my pastoral fatherly love for you people. Do not do it. I don't want to see any of you get involved in a relationship that leads toward marriage with anybody that doesn't share the faith as you do. Do not do it. Well, you don't understand. I might could, I might could lead them along. Well, you might could. But the Bible says don't do it. God knows better than you. Do you agree with that? Therefore, don't do it. Now, there are people in this room who have been involved in relationships like that in the past. There are people in this room who might be in relationships like that in the present. And I'm not by any means condemning you. God's grace is sufficient. Once we have covenanted ourselves with another in marriage, it is better for you to be faithful to that covenant. Pray for that person who doesn't know the Lord. By your good example, try to lead them to Jesus. Stay in that relationship as a faithful, loving spouse, okay? I am not condemning you. I am talking to those who have not already covenanted themselves in marriage. Stay with people who love Jesus. Amen? What the people of Nehemiah's day were saying, because we know, God, that you love us and that you're for us and that our best interest is staying close to you, we commit ourselves to watch over and lead our own hearts and our own families to know and love God. 
How confusing is it for children who grew up where one parent loves Jesus and the other parent doesn't? One parent thinks they should go to church and the other parent doesn't. One parent prays about everything and the other parent says, prayer is stupid. That is so hard. Not only for your own good, but for your family's good and for the legacy, the generational issues that come. Commit yourselves in marriage only to those who know and love Jesus. But secondly, for those who are involved in raising children or involved in leading their spouses, make sure that you lead your family in the way of the Lord. The greatest ministry of your home, if you're a mom or a dad, the greatest ministry of your home is to pray for and counsel and encourage your children to know and love God. That is one of the greatest joys and ministries that God has given you if you're a parent. See that your family knows and loves God. And if you're a dad or a mom who has a child, you don't let your kids date idiots. Okay? And you do not, yeah, amen. And you do not let them begin to get involved romantically with other people who do not love Jesus. You caution, you warn them, you rebuke them, you even prevent them if you have to. You do what's necessary to see they walk in the way of the Lord. The proverb says, train up a child in the way that they ought to go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. Your responsibility is training them in the way of the Lord. Even if they hate you in the moment, in the lifetime they'll thank you. Your work is not in vain. Amen? Fourth, we see verse 31, chapter 10. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. And then if you look at chapter 12, verse 43, if you flip over to chapter 12, verse 43, later as they finish this covenant process, in between where we are in 10 and 12, there's a bunch of names listed to those who signed this covenant and committed to move into the city. But 12, verse 43, they say, And they offered great sacrifices on that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children, they also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. The fourth thing that we see that we should do in light of God's awesome salvation and mercy is this. Keep worship a priority. Keep worship a priority. Exodus chapter 20, as the Lord is giving his basic Ten Commandments for our life, those basic principles that we all struggle to keep, and that's why we need God's grace in Jesus. But he says, remember the Lord's day and keep it holy. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus even refers to the Sabbath day. He, he kind of interestingly says, though, he says, you know, the Sabbath, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath is not some legalistic thing that we pursue. It's something that we get to enjoy. God invites us to enjoy a day off, to enjoy a Sabbath day, a day of rest, a day of peace, a day of... <sighs> and what is that day for? The day is primarily that you might remember the Lord your God, that you might gather with God's people and fellowship together and be encouraged together. The day is not primarily for sports games or afternoon naps, which I love, right? But the day of worship is set aside, yes, for rest, but mainly not just physical rest, but soul rest. Rest in your spirit. Time for you to connect with God and to connect with those who you love the most in God's family. For you to recharge, to take a day completely off and recharge in the Holy Spirit. Worship must continue to be a priority in our life. Hebrews chapter 10 says, We should not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but all the more as we see the day approaching, encourage one another with the promises of God. In light of God's awesome salvation, listen, you should always be involved in worship. Find a place to connect with God and to connect with other Christians. It's what God wants for you. Fifth and last, we continue in verse 32 in your Bible. They say, not only will we not buy and sell on the Sabbath, we will keep 
God's day holy for God, but we will also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the appointed feast, the holy things and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all of the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God according to our Father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. Verse 35. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. And we to also bring to the house of God, to the priests who minister in the house of God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the first of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priest and to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground, as it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all of our towns where we labor. Verse 38. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe from the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers, where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priest who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. If you go to chapter 12, to the very end there, look at verse 44, the very end of this covenant process. It says, On that day men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions and the first fruits and the tithes, to gather them in the portions required by the law for the priest and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priest and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel, in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. What we see happening here is the people not only saying, God, I want to, in light of all you've done, I will stay close to you, God. I will keep away from things that take me away from you. I will, I will lead my family. I will make sure that they walk in your way. I will take time to remember that you're God to keep the Sabbath. But not only that, God, but I want to be involved in the work of ministry. I will choose willing involvement in the work of ministry. That's why you see all these people bringing in the things that they had to the priest, to the place of worship. The reason was that they believed that together, as they pulled what they had together, they could minister to the surrounding nations. They could be the light to the Gentiles that God had called them to be. They wanted to make sure, verse 39 said, that they did not neglect the house of God. They did not want to neglect the ministry of the house of God. We have the same encouragement today. Yes, we don't have a tabernacle, and yes, I'm not a priest, right? I'm not a Levite. But the encouragement for us today is for us all to be willingly involved in the work of ministry. Not only do we want to enjoy the salvation for ourselves, but we want to see God's salvation spread to all people. And thus, we will do anything and everything we can willingly, contributing what we have, this is time, this is money, this is spiritual giftings. We want to be involved, put ourselves in willing involvement for the sake of expanding ministry here in Memphis and around the world. You can note these scriptures, but the point is simple. If you love God's salvation, 
you will want to see God's salvation extend through you to others. And for it to extend through you to others, you know that resources are required. You know that you must get involved. That's why James says, you show me your faith, I'll show you my works. Faith without works is dead. Works does not save. Faith saves. But when there's true faith, there's true willingness, willingness to get involved in the work of ministry. You want to know what the root of a tree looks like? Look at its fruit. If your life is not bearing the fruit of ministry, it shows that there's a problem with the root. The right response to God's salvation is, number one, walking closely with God. Number two, maintaining a purity of life. Number three, watching over and leading your families in the way of the Lord. Number four, making sure that you keep the Sabbath holy. And number five, choosing willing involvement in the work of ministry. This is the covenant that we make with God in response to the covenant that He has made with us in His Son, Jesus. Amen? The question is today, as we move into our time of response, first of all, have you received the awesome grace and love of God through His Son, Jesus Christ? Truly today, can you say, I know that my sins are forgiven. I know that I will be in heaven with God forever. I know that Christ has taken the condemnation that I deserved. Can you say that with confidence today? The invitation for you today is to receive the awesome love of God through Jesus Christ, his Lord who in love gave himself for you so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the first thing that I want you to consider today. Have you received the covenant that God will make with you when you put your faith in him? If that's you today, I just want you to call out to the Lord. Confess your sin and call out to Jesus Christ today. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, will be saved. Second thing I want to ask you today is if you have been saved, if you know God has committed himself to you, are you walking in the way of the Lord? Are you, does your life line up with these things? Don't do them out of guilt or out of trying to earn something. Do them out of a heart that overflows in love for God. We're going to have a time of communion this morning as Robbie comes. And communion is the very symbol of God's covenant with us. In communion, what it, the bread and the juice represents is the fact that Christ gave himself freely to us. His body was broken. His blood was poured out. And because of him, we have everything. We remember as we take in Christ's body and blood that it is by his wounds that we are healed. It is because his blood was shed that we have the forgiveness of sin. As we take communion, we remember His covenant with us. But we also remember the covenant that we willingly make with Him. Jesus says, Whoever wants to follow me, take up His cross daily and come after me. We commit ourselves totally to Him. That is the only response to all that God has done for us. And so as we take communion, not only do we remember Him giving Himself to us, but we are saying, God, we give ourselves to You. And not just something we do individually, but together as a church, just as the people of Nehemiah did. They came together and said, this is what we're doing together. Chapters 10 and 11 and 12 name all the names of the people who signed this covenant, who said, together, this is what we will be about. And today, as we take communion, I want you to remember God's covenant with you, but I want us together to say, Lord, in response to all you've done, we willingly give ourselves again to you. That's what we do together today. I'll invite our ushers to come and distribute the elements.
And as they do, I would just want you to take time to worship and reflect on God's word, to reflect on your relationship with Jesus, to reflect on his love for you. Repent of any sin. Receive his awesome grace. We will take the elements together, and I'll give instruction for that in just a second. You took my pain of sin and shame and you covered me with grace. You meant my life with your holy fire. You've covered me with grace. And you out to say I am set Set free. Oh, I am set free. 